So this is uh, Romans 5.2. Um, Through whom also we have attained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. So here we are with the Advent calendar. Rusty uh, shared that verse with us, and he said, Matt, if you could... Um, like the advent count the advent wreath and uh, just say something about hope and just as I'm thinking about hope my hope is that the we all know that Christ dwells within us right my hope is that you know that Christ dwells within these people around you and my hope is that we will not only be encouraged by the fact that he is in us but on this journey, we all know there are we've had some horrible days. And I hope on those days that you will lean on us, that we are for you, and there's days when we're going to need you too. So this hope is not of the world, right? A lot of us just finished up, you know, Thanksgiving with family that has no faith, and they're on an airplane right now flying back home to California. I don't know what to tell them, right? I, I can tell us, right? I can tell each of us here, walk by faith, right? The, um, you know, Micah, like, look at Micah's smile over there. Just enjoy Jesus. You look at Micah, that's all you can do. You can do nothing but enjoy Jesus. But there's not a political system, left, right, middle, that's going to fix this world. There are no drugs. There's no alcohol. There's nothing that's going to make this life abundant. Because all of that stuff, and believe me when I tell you this, I can relate to whatever it is that you are struggling with. Whatever that it might be, I understand. But all of these things of the world leave us wanting. And addiction, just things like that, they just spiral down, and there's never, ever enough. But Jesus said, I came that they'd have life and have it abundantly. He had no reason to lie to us about that. So I hope, my hope, is that you have an absolute assurance of the fact that he dwells within you, right? Just like the, the Charlie Ward verse, 811, that the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is the exact same one that dwells within each of you. That is great news. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. Lord, I just pray for encouragement for everyone here of all different ages, <laughs> young and old, that we would come to a further understanding of the fact that you love us, you dwell within us. Lord, and you want to just let that light shine through all these personalities to the world and also to encourage those of us who are on this journey together. In all of this to your glory, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. ...that came from the back of the crowd. It was the back of the crowd... Back here, the Pharisees hanging out. Now, don't let me associate the back of the crowd with the Pharisees. Not this, not this crowd anyway. But that's the way it was. And if they were more passionate about Jesus being the Messiah, I'm assuming that they were near the front. Because you know what it's like when you go see your favorite musician you got to be as close as you can, your artist. So all like the, the disciples, those that wanted to pursue Jesus, were, were right up here at the front.
right up here at the front, these are the people that were going to like pursue Jesus with all their life that believed that he was the Messiah. And guess what? If they chose to be his disciples, they would be attacked. I promise you they would be attacked. Jesus says, you will suffer on my account. There will be division if you choose to follow me. And this is where we pick up in today's story, right here in the middle of Luke chapter 12, where we left off. There was a multitude that was following Jesus, and they were hammering him. Then there was also part of the multitude that were disciples, and they were waiting for every word that Jesus spoke. Chapter 12 verse 35 it says be ready for service and have your lamp lit i'm telling you just get ready have your lamp lit you know what that means you know what that means it means focus right here jesus not on rusty jesus saying focus on me right here have your lamp lit and be ready because it's going to happen he says, you are to be like people waiting for their master return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will get ready, have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. That, my friends, right there, flew in the face of those that were in the back. Wait. The Messiah that's supposed to come, now we know you're not the Messiah because the Messiah is not going to serve people. The Messiah will be served. And those at the front heard a different message. They heard Jesus say, the Messiah has come to serve. I've come to serve the least. He says, if he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let this house be broken into. You also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, you know, growing up, on a daily basis, you probably heard that Jesus was coming back, right? You believe that Jesus is coming back. You guys, please tell me that you believe that Jesus is coming back. It's that hope that Matt just spoke about right here. Jesus is coming back, and you know, the crazy thing is, I don't know if this generation believes that Jesus is going to come back in our lifetime. Like the reason Paul and Peter and all these disciples are so passionate about spreading the gospel and telling the gospel is when Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but I'm coming back. They expected him to like come back that day. Whereas we kind of like go, mm, nah, it's probably not going to happen when I'm alive. Therefore, I don't know if I necessarily have to be ready. I know what you're thinking. And he's saying right here to those in the back, if you're focused on the outward appearance, 
you've had to think about the fact that what you're going to be doing when the Lord returns, right? Have you ever had that thought? What am I going to be doing when Jesus returns? I don't know if today people really think about what they'll be doing when Jesus returns. Now, you, you think about that passage of Scripture, we could probably sit in here with different groups of people in this room and talk about the theology of what's Jesus talking about. What I believe, my personal belief, is that Jesus is talking about he, he's going to come back. And he says, you don't know what hour he's coming back. I can't tell you what hour is coming back. Jesus even said, I don't know when I'm coming back. So we can't, all those people that guess when Jesus is coming back or think that they know when Jesus is coming back based upon scripture, they don't know because Jesus didn't even know when he was coming back. But here's what I do know is that Jesus will come back at the end of a tribulation. I'm not going to a whole theological breakdown here, but there's going to be a seven-year tribulation. And in the middle of that seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist will sit on the throne at the temple that is in Jerusalem. In other words, the temple will be rebuilt. And the Antichrist will sit on that throne halfway through. It's at that point, we know three and a half years from then, Jesus will return. So he has to be referring to something different when he says that I'm going to return and nobody's going to know when that is. So we believe that there's this rapture occurs, that the church will be taken out. The Bible never says the word rapture. But it doesn't have any picture of us being around when that seven-year tribulation takes place. So we assume that Jesus is going to come back, take the church away from that seven-year tribulation. We could break this down and go a lot further, but I'm not going to do that right here. What he's saying is, if you're living from your heart, there's really no need to worry about when Jesus is going to come back. Did you hear that? If you're living from your heart, you don't have to think about what you're doing or going to be doing when Jesus comes back. He says in verse 41, Lord, Peter asked, Peter's sitting up here on the front, it's one of his disciples, he says, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Who's he telling the parable to? Somebody out there. He's telling it to the multitude because the parable was hidden. It was a hidden story and he didn't want the Pharisees to see it because they've already accused him of doing miracles under the power of Beelzebub. But all the parables he explained very clearly to the disciples. And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible manager his master will put in charge of his household servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Again, you don't have to worry about what you'll be doing. He says, truly, I tell you, 
he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and starts to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign a place with the unfaithful. Now that sounds pretty crazy, right? Because it is pretty crazy. But who is he talking about? Peter's like, Who's this parable for? He's saying right here, the behavior of an unredeemed heart does this. Beats their servant. Is not prepared for the day the Lord will return. He's speaking about an unredeemed person. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for your sins and that there's a Holy Spirit now living inside of you, you are redeemed. This is not about you. This is about those Pharisees that don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. It says, and that servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself or do it will be severely beaten. But the one who did not know and did what deserved punishment will receive a light beating. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. Oh, here we go. We just, we just ramped up this whole Christian life right here. Because this is the verse that everybody uses if you've been given much, there's a lot of expect, there's high expectations of you, right? Has much been entrusted to me? Hello? Absolutely. Has much been entrusted to us? Absolutely. How are we to be on alert. Hmm. I think it comes back to the same thing. If he trusted me, I'm going to trust him. How, how are we on alert? Lord, I trust you. I trust you. Look at this. John chapter 6, verse 29. Jesus said this. This is the work of God. That you believe in the one he has sent. What is my work as a disciple? <laughs> it, it says right there, John chapter 6, Jesus said, the work, the work of those believers is just to believe the one who sent. So all I have to do is believe. It's crazy. All I have to do is believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I don't have to do anything. I know what you're thinking. I don't have to do anything. And then I look at John chapter 17, verse 3, in red letters, Jesus says again, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. So, my work as a disciple My work as a disciple 
believe, that redeemed me, and to know him. And then I just lived my life. That I just know him. And I pro- watch this. The more I know him, the more my behavior lines up with who he truly is. I don't have to work at it. I don't have to think about my behavior. I just have to know him. That's my only job as a disciple is to know him. And then I'm just going to trust that he's going to live his life in me and through me. And I'm going to stand back and watch amazing things happen. Joe, I appreciate your prayers for me, but if it's about me, uh, you got to look a little higher, brother. I appreciate that. I believe that God's working in me and through me, but what you see right here is the work of the Lord. And when you speak, I see the work of the Lord in you. Our job, my only job, is to intimately know the Creator. 1 John chapter 2, I write to you fathers because you know the one who is from the beginning. You know the creator. Where did I get this idea that I had to be doing something when Christ returns? Because that's what I was taught. Better watch your behavior. Better be done. Jesus is coming back. Santa Claus is coming to town. I'm telling you right now, just get off the treadmill and enjoy Jesus. Trust Christ's life in you to love others. Then Jesus says, I came to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already set ablaze. But I have a baptism to undergo and how it consumes me until it is finished. Now, We get stuck in the word baptism because we think it's some kind of issue dealing with water. But baptism is literally an identification of who you are being a disciple of. You know, Paul actually says that when the Israel... Don't worry about it. When Paul says when the Israelites followed Moses into the Red Sea, he describes that as a baptism. Like the waters parted. Remember that? And Moses took, took the Israelites through the Red Sea. Paul considered that a baptism because they were under the leadership of Moses. John the Baptist baptized people. And it was because they were disciples of John the Baptist. So when Jesus is sitting here saying, I have another baptism to go through, he's basically saying, I identify Jesus is referring to his crucifixion. This baptism by fire consumes me until it is finished. It's talking about when he dies on the cross. Verse 51, it says, do you think that I came here to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. You in the back versus you in the front. From now on, five and one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. Even in your household, there's going to be division. Those that believe I'm the Messiah and are pursuing me and those that don't. 
And then he quotes Micah chapter 7, verse 6. six. The prophet Micah, he says, they will be divided father against son and son against father and mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now, we're not talking about issues of behavior. We're talking about belief in Jesus as the Messiah. That's simply it. Those that believe and those that don't believe. It's not something that you inherit when you're born from your family. It's something that you literally believe and some in your family will and some won't. He's saying to the nation of Israel, some of you Jews are going to believe that I'm the Messiah and some of you are not. And it's going to cause division. The images Jesus used right there, fire, baptism, division. It just speaks of the opposition and conflict that's going on all around him everywhere he travels. This is what he's I just, you realize that as we walk through these Gospels, that it's, it's literally Jesus fighting with the Pharisees. And you just wish you had more of Jesus just hanging out with the disciples and talking about how to love one another, right? But when he publicly is presenting himself and doing these miracles, that's what he's dealing with. And in verse 54, he says, he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, right away you say, a storm is coming, and so it does. And when the south wind is blowing, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. We do that now with Alexa or Siri. What's the weather tomorrow? They were able to say back then, as meteorologists, what was going to happen the next day. They could see what was going to happen with the weather. But watch what Jesus says right here. He says, hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why don't you know how to interpret this present time? Why can't you see that I'm the Messiah? You can tell the weather and everything else, but you can't. All the things that I've done, all the prophecy that I've already fulfilled, everything, you can't see it? This present time, Jesus is the Messiah. Think about just how tragic it is even today. I mean, we're not, we're not talking about like back here in the Pharisees, but just think about how tragic it is today that men can predict the movements of heavenly bodies. We know when, you know, the stars and everything else are going to change and when, when eclipses are going to happen years from now, we can do all that. We've got, we can split atoms We can put men on the moon. We can do all sorts of things, but we're blind to what God is doing in the world. Even today. They literally know how to get to the stars, but they don't know how to get to heaven. Jesus says, why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you're going with your adversary to the ruler, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge hand you over to the bailiff and the bailiff throw you into the prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last cent. Most people will do whatever they can to stay out of jail. They're going to bargain with the lawyers up to the last minute. Give me a plea deal. Let me figure this thing out. 
But Jesus is saying right here, forgiveness of sin will have to occur down to the last cent. Look, Pharisees, if you want to figure this thing out and you want to like bargain how to get to heaven, if you really want to figure it out, you're going to have to pay down to the last mite, the last cent, which is every sin. Every law that you've broken, you'll pay for it. And guess what? They did. We know that like 40 years later, the Romans came in and destroyed 1.1 million Jews in 70 AD. They paid to the last penny. Now let me jump in the first part of Luke 13. It says, at that time, some people came and reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So now Jesus has moved on. There's another crowd. The people have come and they've said, hey, Pilate's mixing some Galileans' blood with the sacrifices. You see, the Galileans were in the north. That's where Jesus' ministry was. And then you had Jerusalem down here in the south, and that's where the temple was, and that's where Pilate was. And Jesus was making his way down to Jerusalem at this point. And, he, and they're literally trying to trap Jesus. This is another trap question. This is a, they're trying to trap Jesus so they can have, if, if, if he says that, uh, he says that Pilate's doing the right thing, then he's pro-Roman, and they're going to hang him, because you're anti-Jews. But if he speaks out against Pilate, what Pilate's done, then Pilate's going to have his neck. So this is a trap question, and watch how Jesus answers. It says he responded to them, do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all other Galileans because they suffered these things? You see, what the Pharisees believed that whatever you did sin-wise, whatever laws you broke, whatever legalities you did, whatever sin that occurred in your life, that you were going to pay through in suffering. Like, you're going to lose things, you're going to be sick, you're going to become oppressed by demons all these different things. This is what the Pharisees believed. And literally, I can understand where they got to that point because in the Old Covenant, that's pretty much the way things happened. Jesus said, hey, look, if you follow me and you follow my lies, my, my, my laws, if you follow my laws, then you'll be blessed. But if you don't, you're going to be cursed. And so they literally believed that the sin that they were doing caused people to lose things and be sick. He says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all perish as well. Jesus is saying, if you don't repent, in the end, you're going to suffer the same consequences as these. Those that have already died. I, I love this. Watch what he says. He says, or those 18 that the tower in Siloam fell on and killed. Do you think they were more sinful than all the other people who live in Jerusalem? Do you literally think, oh, these people were so sinful that they had a tower fall on them because of their sin? Jesus is like, you realize they were just doing their work there, and the tower just fell. And it's not based upon the sin that they've done. He says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Now, here's what he's done. They've offered him a trap question and said, what do you do with what Pilate's done? He totally ignored the whole Pilate question and said, look, your lives are in the balance here. 
if you don't figure this thing out, you're going to die like the rest of them. He totally avoided the Pilate question. Then this last parable, and he told this parable. A man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He told the vineyard worker, Listen, for three years I have come looking for fruit on the fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it even waste the soil? But he replied to them, Sir, leave it this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. Perhaps it will produce fruit next year. But if not, you can cut it down. Real quickly in Leviticus chapter 19, here's what you have to know. Is Jesus told them, he told them, plant a tree, don't eat from it for three years. Let it produce fruit. In the fourth year, in the fourth year, I want you to take that fruit and make it an offering to me. Then in the fifth year, you can actually eat from the tree. So the dude not only waited three years, he waited seven years. But the three years that he's talking about was the fruit that could be produced so that he could eat. He's waited seven years for this tree to produce fruit. And watch this. The whole thing, it symbolizes this. The fig tree, what does it symbolize? It symbolizes the nation of Israel. How many years did Jesus' public ministry consist of? How many years? Three years. Three years Jesus walked the earth and told, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. How much fruit did it produce in the nation of Israel? No fruit. The Pharisees, he's not the Messiah. You're all going to die. But the master said, let me do it for one more year, just one more year. That one year represents the 40 years after Jesus died, where all the apostles came and they talked about how great Jesus was and the church grew, yet the nation of Israel rejected him. And again, in 70 AD, they died. Verse 10, it says, as he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for over 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Like she's seen the ground for 18 years. She was oppressed by a demon. Let me say this. Just because you're sick doesn't mean that you're demonized. All right? Let's get that straight. Jesus saw her. Jesus saw her when he called out to her, Woman, you're free of the disability. Then he laid his hands on her, and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. You realize what happened right there in the synagogue? Jesus defeated Satan right there in the synagogue. Eighteen years this lady was oppressed with a demon and was bent over looking at the ground and she got to like look up who had his hand on her head. She saw the Messiah. first time she could stand up straight she was looking in the eyes of the Messiah but the leader of the synagogue who's in the back indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath 
responded by telling the crowd, there's six days when work should be done. Therefore, come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Are you kidding me? This lady's been sick for 18 years, and they all know it. She's got a demon in her, and she's been bent over, and Jesus just healed her, and he's concerned about a law. Are you crazy? But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrite. Doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? That's work. care more about your animals than you do this 18 year old lady this eight, she had to be older than 18 but this lady that was been suffering you care more about your animals you're such the hypocrite it says Satan has bound this woman a daughter of Abraham the same thing Rick saying about Mary a daughter of Abraham that means that she was a Jew one of your own people And you care more about your animals. It says, shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? Really? Now, remember this. Jesus didn't break one of his father's laws. He broke one of the Pharisees' oral laws. Jesus was all about breaking the Pharisees' oral laws. But he kept his father's laws perfectly. Then we close here, it says, when he had said these things, all his adversaries were humiliated. When you're humiliated, what do you do? Duck your head and walk away. But the whole crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things he was doing. Those that were up front, they were celebrating. I'm telling you, watch this, God will always humiliate the religious. He's not about religious people. He's truly about those who have a heart change. And then he says this. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God? That's the mystery form of the kingdom. That's the church. That's you sitting here today. What is the kingdom of God like? And what can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. He said this. This is what the kingdom of God is. It's this tiny little mustard seed. It's planted. It grows, and it's full of truth. But remember back in Matthew chapter 13, those annoyance birds that I talked about? They came in the trees, and they put lies in the trees. That would be the Pharisees. Those grackles, those annoyance birds that come in just like those blue jays. They come and sit there in that tree and then verse 20 it says again he said what can i compare the kingdom of god to it's like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened now leaven here can be either negative or positive the key that you have to look right there it says all of it was leavened if all of it was leavened if this lady took this leaven put it in the dough it raised and it was transformed. It has to be talking either about evil, evil, and it spread throughout. But if all of it became leavened, then it has to be talking about the Jewish nation 
that was evil and was destroyed in 70 A.D. That's the only time you can say it's all-inclusive. If it's positive, which I believe, positive says that the kingdom of God is like leaven. This, this lady puts leaven in the dough until all is leavened. Like we speak truth right here. And you guys are like leaven that goes out into all the world. And someday, all-inclusive means all things become new in heaven and on earth. That we, as positive leaven, spread the gospel. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like the church. Father, I pray that you would just continue to uh, teach us these these days, these holiday days, that we can truly be disciples. And in the midst of all the chaos that's going on and things that we have to do, that we can just trust and rest in you and that we can just live our life out in you. And uh, thank you for my friends. Thank you for those that are here today. I ask that you just encourage them this month. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.